Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, and he is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, final show of the week, and the annual Green Bay Packers rookie orientation is upon us. And for those who are not familiar with it, kind of an, an annual tradition, really. Mike McCarthy is, has had this type of format uh, you know, call it rookie weekend. Some people like to call it rookie mini camp, although it's not really a mini camp. Um, it's a it's a combination of welcome to the Green Bay Packers to all the rookies, which is the draft picks, the undrafted rookies, as well as a bunch of tryout players who are hoping to land a rookie free agent contract. But it's also an introduction into being an NFL football player. It is, Mike, and and that's the one thing you know. Mike McCarthy has constantly preached. This is really the preamble to an NFL career. They teach you how to practice in Green Bay. Uh-huh. They teach you the routine in Green Bay. And you finally, it, it is that integration into the Packers locker room. I, Mike McCarthy says it every year. Once Saturday night comes around, you're ready. Come Monday morning, you're a member of this team now. You're still a rookie. You still have a lot of growth and a lot of uh, maturing to do from that perspective. But you're expected to be caught up to speed. They aren't looking for big plays this week at it. Sure, it helps if you're an undrafted free agent or a tryout guy. Trying yeah, if to you're if you're eyes. a tryout guy, you want to you want to turn some heads if you can. But the biggest thing is trying to limit the amount of mental errors and take what you're learning in those pre-practice meetings and in the individual corrections and carry it over on the field to show come Monday morning you deserve to be on that 90-man roster. Yeah, they get an introduction to the playbook both on the offensive and defensive side, and I've always thought it was interesting. I've never actually seen it, and, and it's kind of on you know the the uh, electronic um you know the playbook is essentially electronic now on tablets and and whatnot but in the in the pre-tablet days you know I always pictured it as you know the playbook for rookie orientation is like one of those folders that you have for like your fifth grade class and then when you show up on Monday when all the veterans are back for off-season workouts then you get the big binder you know (laughs) with the with the whole like here's the whole thing you know okay go study now and figure it all out so um but they get you know they get a couple of practices they run a handful of plays you know it's just you know parts and pieces some of the basic things in in uh, in the scheme but really it's not even so much about introducing the scheme as, as what you started with which is learning how to practice this is how we practice this is what the practice routine is like these are the fundamental drills these are the 11 on 11 drills and uh, it's giving them a taste of that so that when the OTAs begin at the end of this month um, they've had at least an introduction to to practicing as an NFL player because you're just in shorts and helmets. There's no pads. There's there's lot. There's all. There's a way to practice in a non-contact way that has to be taught in a sense. And this is an opportunity, Michael, for these guys to really start to get to know their position coaches, what's expected of them. Because here's the thing. Let's just be honest. You only have so many hours during the offseason program to work with Clay Matthews and to work with Aaron Rodgers and all of these veterans that are available. Once OTAs start, once those practices start, once mini camps, the two mandatory mini camp practices, because they usually end up canceling the third, when you're on the field, you're focused on getting those guys ready to make sure that they know what changes are coming so that once training camp comes, everybody's off and running. Yeah. So for those rookies, that's when you're taking the back seat again. So this is your chance to be in the spotlight. It's your chance to be the focal point and the attention of these coaches. Because, yeah, once once you get to minicamps and OTAs, 
you certainly are a part of the classroom, and, and you're going to, you know, a lot is going to be expected, but you're not going to have as much of that hands-on, one-on-one attention. That's what these two days are all about. Yeah, and you mentioned the limited amount of hours. These are players who are coming from, you know, hours restrictions in the NCAA, where you know it's the 20 hours a week total right. or whatever it is that you can be involved with football. They get they get a, a taste now on a rookie orientation like this of you know you have meetings in the morning. Then you have a practice. Then you have more meetings after practice. Like it's a full work day. You yeah. know, you're in here at between seven and seven thirty in the morning, and those you know late meetings sometimes aren't wrapping up until after dinner. Right. I mean, it, you know, it can you know, and that's what training camp is like. Training camp is is a full day. It's not even just an eight hour day. Right. And these are guys who are coming from you know the football part of their day was a portion in college, and then you have class and studying and and you know training table and all that kind of stuff in uh, you know that. Five follow all the all the NCA rules. So it's it's an adjustment from that standpoint and this is where they get their first uh, their first taste of it. Yeah, the, fir- the the number one and I think I could cover the team for another 30 years and one of my favorite quotes in regards to a workday schedule is going to go from Brett Hundley last season when he talked about now mind you you get the whole situation there with daylight savings time but he mentioned there are stretches during the regular season where he won't see sunlight. Yeah. He's in before the sun comes up and he's gone way after it's gone down. <laughs> so for these young guys, the, I, it, you hear it every single year. And I'm sure come the end of the month at OTAs, you're going to hear Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson talk about it. It's a business now. It is your job. It is your livelihood. Yep. You get in here. There are books and pens and papers and all that fun stuff, but it's dedicated towards football it's the exciting part of this because now you get to master your craft, but it also is that realization that for 10, 12 hours, whatever it ends up being, this is your livelihood now and it's your sole focus. Yeah, and they get their heads spinning a little bit with regards to the playbook, but then they get a couple of weeks to digest it before those OTAs start when they yeah. really have to you know, figure out how to do this with the veterans on the field at the same time. But with that, we're going to go to a break, back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkiewicz in that one. And Wes, we've spent a lot of the week obviously talking about the Packers draft picks, 11 of them in all. First chance to uh, to see them in person here this weekend with rookie orientation, but also a uh, handful, more than a handful of the undrafted rookies, the, uh, the, the underdogs, the long shots, however you want to term it in terms of their fight for a roster spot to, to eventually try to get on that 53 or even on the practice squad at the end of training camp. There are always a couple of compelling stories that, uh, that come out of that bunch. And, and, uh, and one of them that we've come across is the big defensive tackle from Northwestern, Tyler Lancaster, uh, six foot three, 315 pounds, Bench pressed 36 reps of 225 pounds at Northwestern's Pro Day. Wasn't invited to the Combine, but that number 36 would have ranked like fourth at the Combine. Runs a sub-5 40-yard dash. This is a big guy with some agility, and, uh, you know, he... He's trying to make it here on what is really the deepest, you know, maybe toughest position group to crack here with yeah. the Green Bay Packers. But it really curious to see just what his chances are going to be. Well, first off, Michael, don't be humble here when you say, <clears throat> excuse me, we uncovered, you uncovered in wow. a phenomenal story on Packers.com. Be sure to check that out. It's up and live as we speak. Two things to this. One, 
in my opinion, I don't know if he has if the young man has a nickname. I seeing him walk around the locker room on Thursday, to me he's the juggernaut. <laughs> I mean, he is just complete muscle and build. He look he just he looks the part. He's man. solid. Yeah. He is a solid defensive tackle. The second part to this, you mentioned it in your little intro. My favorite part every year of college free agency is the stories. I think of Gilbert Pena back in 2013 who stepped away from football two years to take care of his mother who had you know, been basically bedridden because of her diabetes. I believe it was diabetes. I think of Andy Malumba who came to this country, didn't know how to speak English, went to, went to Eastern Michigan on scholarship, didn't know how to speak English, had to learn it while he was in college. Right. I think about all these litanies year and year, and after, you know, year, in and year out. And I think Tyler Lancaster's story is one of those that is right up there in the conversation. The guy had a phenomenal career at Northwestern. I know you talked to his former teammate, Dean Lowry, about him and, yeah. and the kind of player and the kind of character that he has. Got the number one on his chest given to the guy that best exemplifies you know, the values of the, the Northwestern football program. But also his own story, his father uh, getting diagnosed with, uh, I believe it was oral cancer. Yeah. Um, at you know, stage four, actually, stage when four, the diagnosis He came. still finds a way to get to Northwestern's games this year, despite the pain and everything he was going through, and he passes away in January. This is a young man, as he said, it motivated him. Yeah. And he thinks a lot about what his father is telling him. And I'll say this, Mike, the Green Bay Packers, I don't know how everything's going to work out on the field, but this is a guy that is going to give every single ounce of his being to prove that he's an NFL football player. Yeah, it's interesting because what I tried to chronicle in the story, and hopefully I was successful, is is the the motivations that are driving this kid are coming from different directions. Yeah. There is there is the his his father, who he called, you know, the biggest Tyler Lancaster fan on the planet was was his dad. He says he knows that his dad right now looking down on him is ecstatic, is doing backflips about the fact that he's with the Green Bay Packers. But his dad is also saying, hey, it's time to go do it now. You know, this is just this is just stage one. And the other part of the motivation for him is you mentioned it, the number one on his jersey that he got to wear at Northwestern. Um a tradition with that program, with Pat Fitzgerald's program, the t- the team votes on the one player who gets the number one jersey. Now, there aren't a whole lot of guys in college football who are 315 pounds wearing jersey number one. You look at the pictures of Lancaster last year during the Northwestern games, and it looks out of place. Yeah. But he took a heck of a lot of pride in the fact that his teammates voted him to wear that number one jersey because it's about the work ethic. It's about the character. It's about the on and the off the field and how you represent the university and how you represent being a Wildcat. And there are a lot of people who really look up to this kid. And I, I shouldn't say kid. There are a lot of people who look up to Lancaster. And they want him to see his dream through. They want to see yeah. him make it in the NFL. And he said, you know, you put on that number one jersey, you cannot quit ever. You cannot let up. You have to give it everything you have because that's what that number one jersey is. And that's what he's going to do trying to take this long shot road to a roster spot with the Packers. Absolutely, Mike. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, too. Uh, you know, I was sitting there uh, what would be Thursday night reading your story, have my son next to me, and, and I got kind of emotional at times reading it. Because here's the thing, is that my dad's 56. Um, I know your parents, I believe, are in their 70s now. Correct. This is a young man that is at Northwestern, one of the most prestigious con- schools in the country. Uh, he is trying to get through his final year of college and he's trying to perform at a high level in knowing what his father was going through at that same exact time. Right. I'm 30 years old, Mike. I don't think I could handle that, <laughs> let alone being 22 or 23. And 
Yeah, he said he didn't have the big plays, and he gets why scouts didn't go after and, and really seek him out. But I think if you look at that and the fact that he was held in such high regard, there's a reason for that. Yeah. And he had an opportunity at Northwestern. I think he maximized it, even if the stats didn't say so in terms of the big play production. And now he's going to come to Green Bay in a defense that I think those are the type of guys, and we'll see how his story unfolds here. But those are the type of guys, those are the type of college free agents that have succeeded ultimately with the Packers. Yeah, I found the interview that I had with him very refreshing. And not to say that, you know, it obviously works for some guys who are undrafted to say they're going to go out and try to prove everybody wrong. He actually was like, hey, the scouts got it right. Yeah. I, I did, you know, I only had a few sacks during my college career, a couple of forced fumbles. I didn't have all the big splash plays. I was a run plugger. I was, you know, that, that run stuffer guy taking on the double teams, doing my job, letting other guys on the defense make plays that's not necessarily enough to get you noticed for a team to invest a draft pick in you so he knows he needs to do more he's excited about being here he actually you know watched the last few rounds of the draft with a Packers hat having come here on a pre-draft visit and and fell in love with this place really had a great conversation with Jerry Montgomery he was hoping either the Packers were going to draft him or nobody else was so that he could sign here as a free agent he really thinks in in the new scheme and system you know that maybe that'll unleash a little bit more in him yeah and if you haven't had a chance yet check that out on packers.com it's a phenomenal story that's buff well thanks i appreciate that wes with that we're going to go to a break back with more on packers unscripted right after this Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz over there. Wes, another undrafted story here that's a, that's a pretty good one and one that you've chronicled on our website as well. The quarterback. A lot of attention always on quarterbacks. Always. Um, Eastern Kentucky, Tim Boyle. Yep. Make sure I say that right. Tim Boyle. <laughs> Um, now this is uh, this is the guy the Packers signed him right after the draft, prompted them to release Joe Callahan. So now they're back to uh, to four quarterbacks on the roster. Took kind of a, a roundabout way from a geographical standpoint to get to to get to where he is. But to tell us a little bit about his story. Well, here's the thing that's really interesting about Boyle. Um, you you hear Eastern Kentucky, and sometimes people get thrown off by that uh, when it's an FCS school or somebody like that. Boyle started his college career at UConn, and he was originally committed to play at uh, Boston College, BC. And he had a remarkable high school career. Xavier High School in Connecticut, born and raised out there on the East Coast, uh, won three consecutive state championships, had contributed to the final two, uh, including had a phenomenal year, one of the top players in the state in that year that they, they won their last state title, and I believe it was 2012. He goes to Connecticut, stays home, and it was a whirlwind that he went through there. Three different head coaches in three different years. He actually was the first uh, freshman, true freshman, to start uh, right away off the bat in 2013 and since 2003. But it was an ebb and flow. Injuries were an issue and consistency was an issue. And he even mentioned, I mean, there was kind of this sort of looking behind your shoulder in terms of, okay, are they going to pull me if something goes <laughs> wrong? Are they going to put somebody yeah. else in? And credit to him, he actually rode those waves for three years. When one coach tra- when one coach gets fired, the class usually transfers, but he stuck it out. His thought process was, if I, if I stick around long enough, if I stay and continue to do the right things, my time will eventually come. 
It never really did, though. He ends up getting hooked up with Eastern Kentucky through a connection to his former quarterback's coach at UConn, and last year started all 11 games for them. He looks like an NFL quarterback, six foot four, 230 pounds. He has all the intangibles from that perspective, good arm, live arm, and now we'll be trying to make that jump to the next level. Yeah, and I found it interesting because you pointed out in, in your story that one of his best games at Eastern Kentucky was, <clears throat> excuse me, against Western Kentucky. Yeah. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Western Kentucky's quarterback was drafted. Yes. Was he yes. not? Yeah. I, I, the name escapes me yeah, at, mine at the too, moment. Yeah, mine too, but he was, yeah. But, uh, but so, you know, there it was kind of, you know, a, a quarterback matchup, two guys that, you know, that have a – have a little bit of a, a potential future, and uh, and he performed pretty well in uh, in a, a pretty big spotlight game. He did, and he actually played pretty well against Kentucky too uh, during that process. Uh, and here's the thing: uh, let me see here, uh, Mike White. Uh, yeah, from Mike, yeah. Mike White from Western the, Western. Kentucky. Picked in the fifth round by the Cowboys. Right. Uh, yeah, he he has a live arm, and he can make the throws. The, the biggest thing I think the Packers are going to work with him on is probably the decision-making side of it. He did have 13 interceptions last year, but we talked about this a couple days ago, Mike. When you're dealing with UFAs or late-round picks, there's going to be some flaws. I think if you look at his makeup, though, there's a lot to work with. He ran a 4.7540 at his pro day, um, put up, I forget what it was on the bench press, but had a 9.9 broad jump. I mean, he has a lot of the measurements that you look for in an NFL quarterback, in the pedigrees there. This is not a guy that just overachieved and now is getting some notoriety. He's a guy that's had the makeup to be and perform at this level. And he said, too, I mean, he's really close friends with Byron Jones, uh, who played at UConn. He was the guy that the Cowboys drafted in the first round in 2015 after that remarkable combine uh, tested through the roof there. He's had a lot of different guys that he's reached out to that have sort of cued him into what this is going to be like and what to expect at the next level. And the fact that now he gets to work with Aaron Rodgers, he said, I mean, that's just the cherry on top for him. Yeah, an interesting thing about his story that I'll be be curious to follow is that a lot of times, you know, these guys, big-time college players, Players, they have a lot of success. They've never really failed. Yeah. And then they get into the NFL and how are they going to handle their first failure? This is a guy who's failed. Yes. I mean, things went south at Connecticut. It, things did not go well. He had to kind of pick up the pieces in a sense and get things back on track during his college career just to get to this point. So you wonder, is that something, you know, just as being part of his background that as he tries to make his way here in the NFL, is that something that can help him? The experiences have molded him. And he said in high school, he learned how to win. In college, he learned how to deal with adversity. And now taking both of those lessons, he hopes that that's something that's really going to galvanize him now that he goes into the NFL. All right. With that, we're going to go to another break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, before we go, I wanted to touch on one thing that's uh, making a little bit of news in the NFL at large, and that's the discussion of what might be happening with the kickoff. Um, different proposals being thrown out there is something that the uh, the league's owners are going to discuss very earnestly at uh, their, their next meeting, which yeah. is later on in May. But we've heard a lot of things, you know, uh, in terms of trying to change the kickoff so that it's not so dangerous, so that the concussions come down because the, all the studies they've done show the propensity for concussions compared to other regular plays from scrimmage. It, it's heightened on kickoffs because of the high-speed collisions. So they're talking about maybe you know the players on the kicking team don't get a running start. They have to stand at the 35-yard line you know, when the ball is kicked. 
we're seeing the NCAA going to uh, any kind of a fair catch inside the 25-yard line on a kickoff. The ball is at the 25, same as a touchback. Maybe the NFL adopts something like that, maybe not. Do you have any sense of of what the final result of of all these machinations uh, are going to be? I said this to you a couple days ago, and and I'll be honest, man, uh, if you set me on a debate podium, I think I think the best option is just to get rid of it and really and to just go to if you're going to do an onside kick you do an onside kick but otherwise you just you just the the play starts at the 25 Hmm. or the 20 for that matter whatever you want and the reason why I say that isn't necessarily because even the concussion issue I just think of you know I, I really do I go back to Jonathan Franklin in 2013 yeah and the fact that this is a guy that was a fourth round pick I think a lot of people expected him to push Eddie Lacy for that starting job going into the season, and his career ended on a kickoff return. Yeah. And what was not a scary-looking event. It wasn't like right. this, this thing where he got carted off the field. He had the whatever you want to call it. I don't know if it was stenosis or whatever, and, and that was the end of it. So I've really struggled with this a lot, and I've yeah. tried to come up with different options. But to me, I don't know. It's that's that's kind of what I keep coming back to. Yeah, that's what the NFL has to figure out in terms of and they're talking about not eliminating it completely. And you have to maintain some sort of kickoff because of the onside kick possibility, because you have to have a way for a team that's behind multiple scores in the fourth quarter to get you to score and then get the ball back right away. You know, you can't take that part out of the game. So a lot of work to do here and something I think we'll continue to discuss down the road. You would lose the surprise onside kick element, but I think in the long run, that's looks to me to be the best situation. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, a story to to see how it unfolds, but with that, we're going to sign off on Packers unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com on Twitter. He's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.